0: Hi, you're listening to the Zoe Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Zoe Fellowship exists to have fellowship with God and with one another, and to extend that fellowship to others through the work of Jesus Christ. This week's sermon is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5, and is preached by Pastor Paul Hong. <music> Due to the outbreak of the COVID-19 virus, Zoe Fellowship Sunday services have moved online until further notice. We hold our sunday services at 1 p.m you can find a link to the live stream in the description box well um as you guys can see things are a little different um just if you haven't heard yet um my wife's starting ha- having uh, peculiar symptoms of uh that kind of lined up with COVID 19 and the, and the timeline that kind of goes with that and so we we're a little worried and so we just thought it would be best to play it as safe and conservative as possible. And so that's why um, I've not been able to, or I was not able to go to church. And um, basically, I need to take care of my son at home while Anna is self-isolating right now in the bedroom. So she's been in there for since uh, Tuesday night, and she's only gone to the bathroom in there. Um, she has not held our baby. So please be praying for her. She's It's, it's tough, obviously, not being able to hold uh, your own child and... Um, also being sick and now she is better and so we actually don't think she has it but again we just want to play it safe you know there's no reason to risk it and put other people in danger when really you could just stay in for a few weeks and uh, probably um, you know be better so that being said please continue to pray for Anna pray for Pascal that he won't get sick pray for myself as well I'm actually going to be doing this probably you know next maybe next few weeks as well just because just again to play it as safe as possible so that being said if you have your Bibles, turn to First Peter chapter 5. Uh, we are going through verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fel- fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Well, um, this passage in particular was very convicting for me as I was going, uh, as, as I was preparing for it this week. Um, obviously, as you guys are reading, it has a lot to do with pastoring. Um, and so as I was reading this, I was evaluating and uh, realizing that I was coming short in a lot of areas. Um, as And you could kind of take this as sort of a, maybe, I don't know if, a, if you can call it a confession or if you can call it just taking responsibility for my actions but i wanted to say that um, i want to say first of all thank you for the patience and the grace that you've shown me and pastor david uh, in terms of um, you know going through zoe fellowship as your pastors Um, you know there's been a lot of changes and we're experimenting um, things like that and it feels like things are going really slow and we keep hitting walls Um, but i can only express gratefulness for you guys for sticking with us um, and we hope that um with more prayer with uh more action uh, and obedience to the lord that he would bless us that we can grow um and that zoe fellowship could just be a blessing to the community around us and and to the world as well so that being said um, i know i fall short in a lot of ways one of my goals this year actually when 2020 began was to be a better pastor Um, and it has been challenging thus far as you can uh, probably imagine But I hope that you guys will continue to uh, support Zoe Fellowship and uh, the staff at KDMBC so that we can uh, continue to do the work that God has laid out before us, uh, the work of ministry. So with that being said, uh, let's jump into the passage because the passage today really is going to talk about sort of the relationship and the interaction between pastors and members of churches um and it kind of will hinge on this main point the main point is that jesus is the chief shepherd of the church okay jesus is the chief shepherd of the church and i have three uh sub to that um, and each sub point is addressing different people in the church that have different roles okay first of all pastors shepherd the flock of god that's sub point number one pastor shep- shepherd the flock of god the second one is members, submit to your pastors. Members submit to your pastors. And then finally, all of you, everyone, clothe yourselves in humility. Another way you can say it, be humble. Okay? So everyone, be humble. Okay? So, pastor, shepherd the flock of God. This is verses one through four. So I exhort the elders among you as felt as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The first thing I want you guys to notice um, in those verses is that uh, Peter is exhorting specifically elders now the word elder is sort of um, uh, emphasizing the office of the church um, called elder um, and an elder is the same thing as a pastor in the bible in the new testament uh, They those words are used sort of interchangeably pastor and elder uh, pastor sort of uh, emphasize the function or maybe even the duties that an elder is supposed to do, which is to pastor people, right? To, to shepherd people. And that's the idea. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here, that elders are to shepherd the flock of God, right? So uh, so when I say the word elder, I also mean the word shepherd. I also mean the word uh, pastor. All those words are going to be, be used interchangeably throughout the rest of this sermon. Now, the other thing is, he says this. Notice that elders... Is plural, right? So I exhort the elders among you. Meaning, there are multiple elders in these churches. Um, so remember the context of First Peter. Uh, there are uh, Christians who are scattered across uh, Asia Minor. Uh, they are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. They are suffering for their faith, their obedience to Christ. Um, but it says that among them, among these members, among these Christians, there are elders. There are pastors right multiple pastors and so this is to say that there are multiple churches probably reading this letter there are multiple churches reading this letter they're passing this letter around and each of these gatherings these congregations there are multiple elders over those specific congregations okay Um, and so basically what this is saying is that if you're the congregation and you're hearing this if you're hearing this letter you have elders you have leaders that are called as pastors among you who are leading you right now right at the same time, um, the instruction is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So he's when he's saying elders, and he's giving that specific instruction to shepherd, he said, shepherd the flock that's among you. So stay out of other people's flocks, right? Don't go to another church and try to shepherd their flock. You have your own flock of God that's among you, right? And then the congregations, they're supposed to uh, understand, look to their leaders, specifically the ones that are around them, not to other leaders in another city or another uh, another place. Um, So I just wanted you guys to notice that that there are multiple elders. And this is is supposed to be typical, even churches today. Like this is kind of giving us a shape and a structure of how a church should look like and function. Fortunately, uh, Zoe Fellowship, we technically have multiple elders. Me and Pastor David, we function as pastors in the church. Um, So you have at least two of us, right? Uh, And obviously we share staff with uh, the Korean uh, congregation as well. And so you can look to Pastor Lee as the senior pastor of KWBC as a whole. Uh, the structure of our church is a little complicated. We're in a you know immigrant church, um, an Asian American church. a lot of it functions the way that we do. There's the first generation ministry and then there's the English ministry or the second generation ministry. And this this is pretty typical, right? Um, so anyway, so we're s- sort of lining up with this and so we can we can look at this, right? Um, and then look at then now how Peter addresses the elders who are among these Christians in the midst of persecution, right? Uh, he, in a sense, during this time, gives us his credentials. Okay, So what's interesting and what we can learn from him, in a sense, is that uh, he comes to these elders as a fellow elder. That's what he says, right? Now, the thing is, he could have come to them and said that, I come to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by God, right? And that's how he actually uh, he introduces himself in the letter. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, he introduces himself as an apostle. But here, when he's addressing specifically the elders, he comes to them as a fellow elder, a fellow pastor who understands the things that these pastors are going through. They're suffering persecution. They're trying to take care of people who are suffering persecution. And so he understands them. He's trying to show them that he understands them. And he shows that he understands them by saying that, as a fellow pastor, I'm also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, we can take this to mean that he is a literal witness of the sufferings of Christ. Like, we know he literally followed Jesus around. He was uh, probably witnessed Jesus uh, getting beaten and scorned and mocked. And uh, he even betrayed him. He denied him three times, right? Um, and so he knows that Christ suffered. He literally witnessed it. But he's also talking about he's witnessed witnessed it in the sense that he has also experienced the same sorts of sufferings that Jesus had. So remember in last uh, the last chapter or the last uh, last week when we talked about sharing in the sufferings of Christ that those who share or are insulted for the name of Christ are blessed, right? And so he is a witness to the sufferings of Christ in the sense that he has shared in them. He understands it. He's been through it. He's been mocked. He's been beaten. He's been scorned for obedience. To Christ, so not only has he witnessed it with his eyes, but he's witnessed it with his heart and his mind and his soul. Right, he's suffered uh, for Christ, and then he also says, like all of the Christians, that he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So this word partaker is actually the same root word that we get for the word fellowship from Zoe fellowship. Right, Zoe is life. Fellowship uh, is is English for koinonia, which is like a community or you know, obviously fellowship. So we're a koinonia of Zoe. We're a life fellowship, a fellowship of life. Um, but here he's saying he's a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed, meaning he understands that one day when the glory is revealed, when Jesus returns, which, you know, obviously we've been talking about for a while now, um, he is going to partake in it. He's in fellowship with the glory that's going to be revealed, as are we. We will share in the same glory as the apostle Peter, And so really what he's doing here is he's kind of coming down to their level. He's an apostle of Christ. He's a witness of his sufferings. And yet he comes down as just a fellow pastor. Somebody, just another human being who's gone through the same troubles, who's going through the same things. Right. And then, with all that, he finally gives the actual exhortation, which is our first point. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And he uses the imagery of a lowly shepherd, if you didn't know, that shepherds were some of the lowest, kind of, the lowest rung of society, right? Um, and it's a, it's a humble occupation to have. And, but his instruction is to shepherd them. What does that exactly mean? Well, one of the clarifying instructions that he gives right after that is to exercise oversight, and so that's kind of what shepherds do. That's what kind of what shepherding ultimately is: is exercising oversight. And the uh, exercise oversight in the Greek, it's actually just one word. It's not two separate words. It's, it's translated into two separate words because it kind of gives that idea. And exercising oversight is kind of maybe what you think it is, right? It's caring for. It's leading. It's guiding. It's watching over. Protecting the sheep, maybe, um, those kinds of things. So they are to shepherds are to exercise oversight. That's how they are to. Uh, shepherd the flock of God. And then he gets into um, uh, what exercising oversight looks like, right? How do you characterize uh, shepherding and exercising oversight? And he gives um, three sort of, you know, opposites um, to kind of give us an idea of what a pastor should be like. Uh, First of all, pastors are to exercise oversight willingly and not under compulsion, according to God. Okay, so pastors are to exercise oversight willingly and not under compulsion, according to God. So they, basically what he's saying here is, is that pastors should want to be pastors. They should want to pastor people, to shepherd people, to exercise oversight. And they shouldn't want to uh, uh, do it under compulsion, like they, because they have to do it. Oh, nobody else can do it, so I have to reluctantly take up this mantle of leadership. That is not what uh, pastors should be doing. Um, basically, um, I kind of, I feel like I've heard some athletes say this, maybe some rappers, I don't remember <laughs> where I picked this up, but I've heard this, I didn't choose this life, it chose me, right? I didn't choose this life, it chose me. But in this case, that's not the case, right? That's not what pastors should say, that they didn't choose this life. In fact, they should desire it and pursue it, and they should choose it, right? You have to choose to be a pastor if you want to be a pastor, And that's kind of what he's saying here. You have to be willing to be able to be a pastor. That's one of the first marks and qualifications of an elder. Church, if you were to look in 1 Timothy, you would find that one of the first things is that, it's like, do you desire it? right? Um, And that's one of the marks of the calling of God to be a pastor. Uh, Secondly, pastors are to exercise oversight eagerly and not for shameful gain. So in the context of this letter of Peter, uh, Peter might be speaking from... Uh, witnessing pastors do this, they might—he uh, might have seen people kind of use the pastoral position for uh, m- uh, making a profit for themselves, right? Um, and and that's what shameful gain, gain is referring to—is uh, out of greed for money, uh, they're using methods or uh, methodologies to uh, gain financial finances for themselves, um, and so he might have seen that he might have. Heard it from somebody else. Maybe he's actually just even thinking back to his friend Judas, right? They were learning from Jesus together. And Judas uh, was the guy who apparently took care of the finances of Jesus's ministry. He was the one who carried the money bag. And it tells us in one of the Gospels that he stole from it all the time, right? So he also was a lover of money. Um, and so Peter might be just drawing from that experience as well. And, um, and it's something very interesting because I've never thought of being a pastor as something that you uh, profit from. Like maybe it's just me, but, um, but we see, though, now that I think about it, we, we see it all the time on television, right? Televangelists who kind of trick people to give them money and they're flying in their own private jets and they have weird color hair. And um, they're telling people that God will bless them or heal them if uh, they send in money, things like that. Like that's not right. That's exactly, that's shameful gain. That's out of greed, out of wanting money and power they do that and it's evil, it's satanic. right So the flip side of course is that you have to eager, you have to be eager to be a pastor right Pastors are to exercise oversight eagerly. And so the word stress is enthusiasm, zeal, passion, joy. So if you, you could put it this way, okay what, what Peter's saying here in this in this part the joy all comes from the grind. Okay, and not from greedy gain. Right? Pastors find joy from the grind of pastoring, not from greedy gain. That's what it means to exercise oversight eagerly and not for shameful gain. And then finally, uh, Peter characterizes the work of pastoring as uh, pastors are to exercise oversight as an example to the flock and not domineer over them. So the temptation is not just shameful game, but sometimes it's a lust for power, right? So if you think about being in a position of a leader over people, um, then you can see that there's a temptation to uh, influence them in ways that benefits you, right? Um, And so that temptation is very much there, right? You want to use your power and authority to uh, put yourself in a position to gain for yourself and yourself only, not for the kingdom of God. And so... Peter, he says, instead of trying to abuse your power for selfish gain, instead, act as an example, right? Act as an example to the flock. So the the flock of God aren't supposed to be servants to the pastor. Instead, the pastor should exemplify to the flock of God how to be servants of God, right? These members of the churches are not meant to be servants of the pastor. They're meant to be servants of God, and the pastor has to be the one who exemplifies that. And then finally, in verse 4, Peter goes on to share the reward that elders will receive, right? The elders of churches, pastors of churches will receive um, this unfading crown of glory. And this is one of the motivations that is supposed to drive pastors to do what they do, is they're supposed to realize that there's a goal at the end of it all, right? Um, and uh, But the emphasis here, though, that there is this unfading crown of glory, this reward for pastors for the shepherding that they do, um, the biggest emphasis here is what we talked about in our main point, that Jesus is the chief shepherd, right? This is the hinge by which all these other commandments are coming from. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd over all other shepherds and all their flocks. Basically, uh, shepherds, pastors, are sort of under-shepherds to Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd, the head of the church, Pastors like myself, Pastor David, Pastor Lee, are all under shepherds, um, and so uh, Jesus is, as the chief shepherd, is shepherding all flocks. Okay, he's guiding and leading and protecting them as they shep- as elders are shepherding God's flock. Right? now, I just kind of want to show this idea of Jesus as the chief shepherd and emphasize that and how he lives up to all the standards that Peter is putting out here. Uh, these exhortations to these pastors. He says this. Look at what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. This is John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Simply put, okay, Jesus has exhorted the elders to be like Jesus. Pretty simple, right? Jesus or Peter is exhorting the pastors of these churches to pastor people like Jesus pastors people. (laughs) And so he kind of, and Jesus in this kind of soliloquy shares with us what it means to be a shepherd. What is shepherding? It's laying down your life for your sheep. Jesus lays his life down for his sheep. Jesus is not a hired hand, okay? But uh, he knows his own and they know him. He will not run when wolves come to take sheep away or scatter them, right? He, if, if a false teacher were to come and try to steal sheep away, Jesus would not allow it. A good pastor would not allow this false teacher to come. Jesus would not allow any trials or tribulations to scatter the sheep. Whatever this wolf is, whether it be some sort of trial, a false teacher, Jesus will not allow them to come, okay? It shows that pastors ought to care and love for their sheep, and care and love their sheep <laughs> and then he gathers sheep that are not of his own flock meaning jesus is pursuing those who do not know him and do not listen to his words and basically he's saying he is a missionary he's on a mission for people to become saved through the gospel through god's word and so he speaks the words of god to them and that's what pastors ought to do they're supposed to preach the word of god proclaim it to people who don't know him and so that they could one day repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus for their forgiveness. And now look at this. Jesus did not act under compulsion, but rather willingly gave up his life uh, for his flock. Jesus did not do his ministry out of shameful gain. In fact, he died a poor homeless teacher, abandoned by his friends and family, forsaken by his father in heaven. Right? There is no earthly gain here to be had. Jesus did not domineer over his people, right? He 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 was the Son of God. He's he's God Himself, God in the flesh, right? But yet he became a humble servant, even to the point of death. He did not. He could have come as a reigning king, like a warrior king, but he did not. Instead, he did not domineer over his people and his disciples, but he lived out and exemplified a perfect life and taught them to do the same. Okay, so he knew that um uh that. His disciples, his people would fail, but he exemplified a life that loved and pursued God and his people, and so should pastors. And then look how Jesus says that there will be one flock and one shepherd, right? This is what Peter, this is probably where Peter is getting this idea of the chief shepherd from. The one shepherd is Jesus, he is the chief shepherd, and the one flock is the universal church. Okay, you can think of church as a local church, like AWNBC or Zoe Fellowship, and you can think of the universal church, as in all Christians all over the world, they're considered the universal church, okay, and so this, Jesus is the chief shepherd of local churches, so he's, Jesus is the chief sheep of Zoe, or chief uh, shepherd of uh, Zoe Fellowship. He's the chief shepherd of uh, New Song Church. He's the chief shepherd of Semion Church and Youngna Church and Pinneri and the Village Church and First Baptist Dallas and Watermark and every gospel proclaiming church on the entire planet. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so all those individual flocks of all the world make up one big flock, the universal church, that Jesus is shepherding himself. Right? He is the chief shepherd. He loves and he cares for us. He is guarding us. He's protecting us uh, and pursuing us. And that's a great hope that we have. We have a really good pastor over us. Now, that was the first point, right? So, pastors, shepherd the flock, right? Shepherd the flock among you. Now, the second point is this that uh, members, if you're a member of a church, you ought to be subject to your leaders, submit yourselves to, your, to the leaders. So, first part of verse five likewise, you who are younger, Be subject to the elders. So first of all, notice the language, right? Be subject. This should should sound familiar to you, right? Um, We were in chapter 3 for a while, and this idea of submit and be subject to was there all the time. And we talked about what it meant to submit to authorities that God has placed in our lives. And Peter is using that same language to submit to the authority that God has given to pastors, right? If you're a member of a church, then you have leaders among you, Called pastors or elders, and you are to submit to them, right? Be subject to them. Now, I, I bring up members because there's some debate on who younger people are in this verse, right? It says, You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Because you could look at this and you could think, Oh, does it mean literally younger people uh, should be subject to the elders? And does elders mean elderly people, like old people? So if they're young people and there are old people, does that just mean that all young people should be subject to older people? Because some people think of it that way. Uh, maybe that it's saying that only only younger people should be subject to the pastors. And then for people who are the pastor's age and up, they don't have to listen to the pastor. Right? It's just for those who are younger than the pastor. Is that what it means? Or it could be just a general statement about how relationships should work in the church amongst different age groups. Okay, Like in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Encourage younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So, is that what it's talking? About? Is it just a general idea of how age groups should uh, interact with one another? The context tells us that none of these are probably the case. Okay, Peter begins with the word likewise, meaning he's probably connecting it to the previous passage, relating to elders or pastors of the church, right? So, not literally um, elderly people and. And uh, to its younger members, it's possible that older men were typically the elders of churches. They were typically pastors, okay, of churches in that day, and that's why Peter addresses younger people to the elder. But some commentators even suggest that it might be typical that it was the younger people of churches that uh, would uh, demand change if they didn't like something that was going on. So if there was persecution, they were the ones who were up at the front telling us, like, what's going on? Why is there anything happening, right? Or sometimes it was maybe that these younger people, it might've been typical that since they have the most energy and the most zeal and things like that, that they're the ones who are at the front line to serve, right, in some way, shape or form. And basically uh, it could be something that Peter decided to specifically address when he heard reports of the persecution in that area. But regardless of whatever the case was in that context, it seems to be the case that it was a simple instruction to members of that ch- of those churches to submit to their pastors, and that carries over to us today as members of our churches. We are to submit to our pastors, the elders. Now, like I said before, the idea of be subject or to submit yourselves is uh, familiar because we've talked about it, right? We're talking about how citizens sh- should submit to their governments, how um, Uh, wives should submit to their husbands, how uh, servants should submit to their masters, right? And I thought, I realized that we didn't talk about this before, but um, I thought it would be a good time to talk about biblical authority, like specifically, um, and how that really works in the Bible, because it's going to help us understand how pastors and members ought to interact with one another, okay? So um, I'm going to kind of regurgitate an article that I read Talking about authority. That was really helpful to me in, in, in seeing how biblical authority works. I'm hope, I hope that it's helpful to you. Okay, um, So this article basically had two categories of biblical authority. One is called uh, the authority of command. And then the other category is called the authority of counsel. Okay, And so the Bible, when it specifically is talking about authority that uh, a person or a group of people might have, that I, they usually either have the authority of command. Of the authority of counsel. And they, those are made up terms, okay? That's, you won't find that in the Bible. But how he defines those is that the authority, people who have the authority of command basically have uh, an enforcement mechanism. They have a way of enforcing their authority, usually through discipline, okay? And I'll give examples of that in a second. The other one, the authority of counsel, they don't have that. They don't have an enforcement mechanism to enforce their, uh, their, their commandments and uh, instructions, okay? So the the examples that were given in the in, in that article were really helpful. So the authority of command, there were three examples that he gave. The first one was government. Governments have the authority of command because they can enforce their laws. Right? They can enforce their laws through what the Bible calls the Bible calls the sword. So in Romans thirteen, uh, verse four, you'll it'll talk about how uh, the government does not bear the sword in vain. The sword is the enforcement mechanism. So basically think about this you can get pulled over for speeding if you kill somebody you can um you can uh, go to jail or suffer capital punishment right that's the sword that's the enforcement mechanism so you don't break the law and that you obey the law that government has uh, the authority of command then in that case and then uh, parents okay biblically speaking parents have the authority of command over their children in Proverbs uh, chapter 13, verse 24, talks about uh, spare the rod means you hate the child, right? Uh, a, a love, to discipline a child is to love them. It's basically what it says. Now, obviously, there's what it means by the rod. That can mean anything in this culture, but but the rod is the rod. My mom called it a ruler. Sometimes it was a leg of a chair. Anyway, <laughs> memories. Um, but parents have the authority of because they have an enforcement mechanism, the rod, as the Bible uh, indicates. And then finally, the other example, the final example he gave was church members. Church members have an enforcement mechanism called the keys of the kingdom. You can find that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, and Matthew chapter 18, verse 17. Okay, It's talking about binding and loosing. And basically, church members have uh, the keys of the kingdom to enforce discipline on one another, on each other. So all members have the same keys of the kingdom. They're able to discipline somebody through excommunication, right? Meaning you're excommunicated from the body. You it means saying that church members can no longer affirm your uh, affirm your confession of faith because you are in unrepentant sin, and so they excommunicate them. So excommunication is the enforcement mechanism that uh, that church members have over one another. But now, the Bible. Uh, talks about husbands, and it talks about pastors, okay, or elders, and it talks about them, and you have to think about, okay, does the Bible ever talk about some sort of enforcement mechanism, like the rod, or the sword, or the keys, uh, for husbands and for pastors? And the answer is no, right? So there's no one in the Bible where it talks about uh, uh, husbands having this enforcement mechanism for their wives to submit to them, to obey them. Um what you ultimately find is that uh, husbands who want to force their wives to submit to them abuse them, right? They abuse their authority. And that's why it's sin is because it's not the authority of command. They don't have authority from God to enforce uh, the the submission that the Bible commands wives to submit to their husbands, right? Um, instead, it says in 1 Peter that w- the husbands should live with their wives in an understanding way. So that's how they're supposed to do it. How about pastors? Pastors also, they don't... Pastors like myself, we don't have an enforcement mechanism to make you guys do anything that uh, we want you to, okay? Uh, we, uh, pastors, don't have an enforcement mechanism. Uh, church members don't have to do everything that the pastors tell them to. Um, so, with that being said, so, husbands and pastors, they have the authority of counsel, so when we're specifically talking about pastors, you might be thinking, okay, I understand. If I if I murder somebody, I can get the death penalty. Okay? The government has uh, that enforcement mechanism. They have the, the sword. Parents have the rod. Church members have the keys. But if pastors don't have anything like that, then why do I have to listen to them? Don't those real consequences kind of put in place um, the reality of the authority that those people have? But if pastors, they don't have like a real consequence if I disobey a pastor or don't submit to a pastor at my church, then... Um, then why would I listen to them? Why should I listen to them? That's a great question. Um, Well, the reality is that there actually are real consequences. They just don't happen immediately. And the real consequence is this, that Jesus will come back one day and judge us. Jesus will judge everybody, the living and the dead. And so, there are real consequences. consequences because... The judgment, the final judgment, when Jesus returns in glory, is a real consequence. And so pastors do have a real authority to give actual commands from the Bible because Jesus, the chief shepherd, the the senior, senior, senior pastor, will come and bring the final judgment one day. Ultimately, you being subject to your pastors is about you being more obedient to Jesus. Now, This isn't to say that uh, that pastors are equated with Jesus, or that they are Jesus, okay? All pastors, as you know, probably too well, because of myself, um, are imperfect, okay? They make mistakes, they sin. You can ask my wife, don't ask her. They fall short of expectations. Um, Pastors are not Jesus, and you don't have to listen to every single thing they say or tell you to do. But if your pastors are diligently and faithfully studying the Bible and giving you instruction backed up from the Bible, then you should listen to them because they're instructions from the Bible and the Bible is God's word, right? And that's the only authority that pastors have is the authority that's given to them from God's word, the Bible, right? So if a pastor gives you instruction from the Bible, then you should listen to him, okay? Your pastor, right? Again, the pastor is among you, right? Not just any pastor. So if another pastor from a different church came to you and be like, Hey, do this for me because I'm the pastor of, I don't know, Pineri or something. Then you'd be like, "Uh, I'm not a member of your church. I don't know why you're telling me to do that, right? So that kind of thing. Um, So anyway, that authority actually comes from Jesus, the chief shepherd. And that's why ultimately you should submit to your pastors. And now finally it says... um, At the end of verse 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so now he addresses everybody, pastors and members. Because we're talking here, right? Um, As we've said, this is about how pastors and members of of churches ought to interact with one another. And so while pastors and members may have different roles and functions of the body, uh, while pastors are to shepherd the flock of God that is among them according to God's word, members are to submit to the elders that are among them. Both of these actions require humility to humble themselves. And so it's why Peter's final exhortation is not just to elders and it's not just to members, but it's to all of you, right? He quotes Proverbs three thirty-four to illustrate the fact that in the Bible over and over again, since the old testament times god has always sided with those who are humble and meek and lowly right like shepherds are he has always sided with those people rarely do you see him side with people who are conquering and arrogant and and those kinds of things unless he has mercy on them and when you think about that right that you have pastors of a church who are humble have members of churches who are humble that are all depending on God, loving one another, clothing themselves in humility. That's quite a vision for ministry, right? Like what a vision for Zoe Fellowship, something to strive for, that we could be clothed in humility, right? Pastors could humbly lead God's people like a flock of sheep and that the flock would humbly follow, trusting that they are being led on paths of righteousness to green pastures and still waters where souls can be restored for God's glory and fame. And that can only be pursued when we are all clothed in humility. So all of us, clothed, uh, we are to clothe ourselves in humility. What I wanted to do uh, to close today is um, just briefly looking into this moment, that um, sort of a private moment that the Gospel of John captures at the very end. After Jesus resurrects from the dead, um, the, the the disciples go back to their old ways, as in their old jobs, and they're fishing, and then, Jesus appears on the beach and tells them to fish. They, they can't catch any fish on this side of the boat. And so Jesus tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. And so they go over and cast it. And then tons of fish come out. And they realize it's Jesus. And so Peter, of course, it's Peter. He runs. He, he jumps out the boat and swims to shore. And he, you know, he meets Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, let's have breakfast. Let's fry some fish up that you just caught. And it says this in, in John chapter 21. It's this moment. Remember what Peter has done at this point. He's betrayed Jesus. Um, he's denied him three times before his crucifixion that people came to him and he denied him saying he didn't know them, he had nothing to do with him I don't know anything about him and he's denied him three times now look at what happens here when they, Jesus and Peter, had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him yes Lord, you know that I love you so he said this, feed my lambs he said to him a second time Simon son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. When we think about this moment, when we think about pastors and members of churches and how they're to interact and how they're being shepherded by the chief shepherd, Jesus, we see this conversation and we're supposed to relate to this, right? Jesus is, is pastoring. He's shepherding Peter. He's restoring him after that denial three times. He said, he asked him three times, right? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my lambs, right? Feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep. These are the things he tells him to do. And in the same way, pastors are supposed to do that. They're supposed to shepherd the flock of God that's among them. And members, they're supposed to to submit to these kinds of instructions, right? Follow me. That's the last thing Jesus says to Peter here. But the reality is, maybe you thought that, pastors and elders kind of live in different spheres in the church but the reality is that's not true at all in fact i think that shepherds uh, in a sense all members can do things that shepherds do that pastors do they're to preach the gospel to people right they're to love one another they're, uh they're to members are to uh, care for one another right S- uh, check up on each other shepherd each other Right? Guard each other from false gospels and trials and tribulations and pray for one another. All the things that pastors do, members should be doing too. Right Now pastors, they're set aside uh, to do it more, to spend most of their time and most of their energy into that, into doing that sort of ministry, preaching the gospel and prayer, those kinds of things. But this isn't to say that those things are exclusive to pastors. Members of church should be doing that in some way, shape, or form. And then on the flip side of that is pastors are members of churches too, right? So on top of the formal Sunday service, preaching, things like that, pastors are to care for care for uh, one another, right? To um, meet each other on the ground. A book I've been reading about um, church elders, actually I have it right here, if you guys are interested in this, church elders. Uh, it has such a great chapter called That Shepherds Sh- uh, Should Smell Like Sheep. Meaning, shepherds are always amongst the sheep, and so it should smell like them. They should be caring for them. They should, be among, they should be just distant, like doing something else, right? And so, in the same way, pastors should be amongst the people all the time, They're caring for them, doing the same things that good members of churches should do. So, with that being said, I, I, I wanted us to look at this moment because we just see Jesus do that so well. Like, he tends uh, to Peter's heart. Stores him in that way, guards him, and then gives him mission, gives him something to do. Feed my sheep, right? Feed my lambs, take care of them. Follow me. That's ultimately that what we all have to do, right? Is ultimately we want to follow Jesus, and that's why we should look to Jesus as the chief chief shepherd, um, and that we are his flock and we have to follow him faithfully. So, with that being said, let me pray for us, and we can go.